Hey folks, this is Marty. It's Monday night before this episode goes live and I wanted to catch you up on some things that were kind of going on because I've missed a couple of episodes and I didn't have a guest scheduled for uh, this week's episode. And um, so I've decided to do um, a monologue episode. I've done this once or twice before in the 80 plus episodes of Uncommentary. And um, sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's not, but that's what we're getting this time around. So uh, first things first, thanks to all of my Patreons and folks who give through uh, paypal.me. Couldn't continue uh, doing this as easily as it is without you. Um, Thank you for helping cover editing costs and soon to be scheduling costs and um, your donations, your support financially is greatly appreciated. So thanks so much. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Uncommentary, you can go to patreon.com slash uncommentary. Or for a one-time gift, you can go to paypal.me slash uncommentarypod, either of those ways. Or if you'd rather just use Venmo, then hit me up on Twitter, and I'll be glad to slide that information over toward you. And you could use that as well. Either of those are helpful and beneficial, and a huge blessing in keeping uncommentary going. So uh, a couple of things I want to do tonight. First of all, I want to give you some books that um, I've received to review that I'm not going to be able to have the authors on uncommentary, but I did want to mention the books since uh, the publishers were kind enough to send them to me. And some of these were for various reasons. Uh, Either I wasn't sure that they would be a good fit or I wasn't sure I'd be able to schedule the author or I wasn't able to schedule the author. Uh, Any of those. And one, uh, I hope, will be picked up by my friend Todd Littleton uh, at the Pathological Podcast. Uh, He does good work over there, and I'm hopeful that he'll be able to get one of these uh, that I've recommended and hope to connect to him. So first of all, there is the book Holier Than Thou, How God's Holiness Helps Us Trust Him. That's by Jackie Hill Perry, who I would love to have had uh, on the podcast, but she is booked up. Uh, This is a great-looking cover. I love the cover of this book. If you remember the old um, paperbacks from back in the day, uh, even some of the ones we used to use in church, like Sing and Celebrate and some of those little songbooks, uh, it's, it's got the worn look to it, like all the covers have been bent up on it, uh, almost it, exactly like a book that I loaned out and got back yesterday. Uh, the cover's all bent up. So Jackie Hill Perry, Holier Than Thou, that's published by B&H. Uh, next is Recovering the Lost Art of Reading, A Quest for the True, the Good, and the Beautiful. This is by Leland Riken and Glenda Faye Mathis, published by Crossway. I think this came out last year. Uh, It looks interesting. Um, I definitely need to read about reading more than I do, Uh, but not going to be able to have either of them on Uncommentary, but check that one out, Recovering the Lost Art of Reading. Uh, Then this um, is kind of a life coach type book. It's called Gunlap, not Dunlap, not like the tires, Gunlap, like the last lap of the race. Staying in the Race with Purpose. This is by Robert Wolgamuth. Um, and this is published by BH. I think this came out last year, though it might have been this year. Uh, equipping you with biblical truth for the days ahead, sharing encouraging stories of men in the race with you or ahead of you, challenging you to live the rest of your life with grace and strength. So this is a dude's book. So this is kind of like a men's ministry book and uh, called Gunlap by Robert Wolgamuth. This is one I really had. I really do wish I had uh, the ability to have somebody on to talk about this book. There's a lot of contributors in this book. Some of the names you'd be familiar with, David Bebbington, uh, Malcolm Foley down at Truett, Thomas Kidd, uh, Timothy Larson, Mark Knoll, who has been on Uncommentary. 
Uh, this book is called Every Life, Lean, and... Uh, <laughs> it's not called that. It's called Every Leaf, Line, and Letter. Every Leaf, Line, and a Letter. Evangelicals and the Bible from the 1730s to the present. Edited by Timothy Larson. Uh, that's published by IVP, University Press. Every Leaf, Line, and Letter. Be sure that I read those last... Uh, words very very directly that last time uh, then finally my buddy justin phillips has written a book called know your place helping white southern evangelicals cope with the end of their world know your place this is the one that i hope uh, my buddy todd will be able to host justin on justin's the executive editor of the other journal teaches theology and ethics in knoxville He's also done a lot of work uh, on the death penalty campaign, so, uh, so like abolishing the death penalty. But he's a, uh, he has a lot of good arguments uh, why conservatives should oppose the death penalty. He was one of the people who really got me thinking deeper on that subject. Um, so this is from Cascade Books. Uh, know Your Place, Helping White Southern Evangelicals Cope with the End of Their World by Justin R. Phillips. So all of those books would be worth looking out or checking out. And I hope that uh, you'll be able to find one or more of them. Now, here's a couple of, uh, or three actually, that um, I would love to have the authors on. The first I've corresponded with, and I'm going to be able to have her on at some point, I think, when we can get our schedules uh, together. Lori Lori, uh, Ferguson Wilbert, eventually I'm going to learn how to read. It is nighttime, so you know I'm half asleep. It's 7.50. This is like almost my bedtime anyway. Handle with Care, How Jesus Redeems the Power of Touch in Life and Ministry. Handle with Care, How Jesus Redeems the Power of Touch in Life and Ministry. This is a really timely book. It came out uh, last year or in 2019 um, because she acknowledges the difficulty in knowing good touches from bad touches in a world where people still need to be touched. We, we need to experience physical contact between people uh, in order to be healthy. Um, if, you're, if you've been alive for 20 minutes, you know the stories of the babies in orphanages who are never held, who are, uh, who are ignored. They're just you know, fed and kept alive, and they don't develop. Uh, they have to be held. There has to be human interaction for humans to do well, and that's even when we're adults. And so Lori delves into that in her book, Handle with Care, and she will be on the pod uh, hopefully sometime in the next couple of months. Another person I'd like to have on the podcast, um, and this one is unlikely. Uh, I would really like to have him, though. Larry Krasner, he's currently the uh, DA in Philly, I believe is accurate. Uh, the book is For the People, A Story of Justice and Power. So Larry Krasner is a district attorney who recognizes the problems in the system, and he's trying to deal with the problems from inside the system Rather than a voice crying in the wilderness, he's actually in a seat of power attempting to do something good in the criminal justice system. So I would love to have Larry Krasner on. If you're listening and you know him and you can put in a word, uh, boy, that would be boss. So uh, I look forward to that. Uh, the next one, I'm not, I can't remember exactly who the author of this book is. And when I read you what's going on, you're going to understand why. I believe the author, or at least the primary editor, is Raphael Ladani. I believe he's a Frenchman. The book is called Secret Reports of Nazi on Nazi Germany, the Frankfurt School Contribution to the War Effort. So the actual authors are Franz Newman, uh, Herbert Marcuse, and Otto Kirchmeier, uh, Kirchheimer, excuse me. Uh, 
Um, so those are the guys who are involved with the Frankfurt School. So here's the deal. When these guys who are philosophers were uh, run out of slash escaped uh, Hitler's power, uh, many of them came to America, settled, I believe, in the University of Chicago or somewhere along that line, started the Frankfurt School, which was a philosophical school uh, dealing with power and authority. And they were, uh, they were from a Marxist background, but they were in uh, Nazi Germany. So they were looked down on. The Nazis didn't like the Marxists. And so they fled and came to America. Well, part of what they did when they came to America in the Frankfurt School was they used what they had learned in Germany to help spy on Germany for America. So the contribution to the war effort is the contribution to the Allied war effort. Uh, Raphael Laudani, who I believe is the um, primary editor for this book, is a guy who I've uh, looked up, and I think he might be available at some point based on the fact that he's um, he has spoken on this subject. Um, and he does speak English, so that's a plus because I wouldn't know what he was saying otherwise. Uh, so I'm going to try to track this fellow down, secret reports on Nazi Germany. And one of the reasons I want to is because the Frankfurt School is so much talked about in the world of evangelicalism that um, I would like to find out kind of a little bit about the other side of the Frankfurt School beyond what's normally looked at and said, oh, these guys were from a Marxist background. Uh, yeah, they are, but that wasn't all that they did stuff about. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. So if you're not Southern Baptist, you're not interested in that kind of thing, then that's cool. Um, if my mind turns to something besides mush in the next few minutes, I may head off in a different direction. But for now, here's the deal. Uh, back in June, the Southern Baptist Convention, as it was gathered in Nashville, um, and all of the people that were there that represented different churches are called messengers. And so these messengers voted that the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention should um, work with a task force and hire a third party to investigate allegations of uh, mishandled complaints about sexual abuse in the SBC. Uh, so there's a whole lot in this that I have neither the time nor the expertise to go into other than to give just a little bit of explanation. So for those of you who are not aware of the odd structure, and that really is the only word for it, of the Southern Baptist Convention, and how it actually differs from other denominations, Presbyterians and Methodists, in that it is not strictly a denomination in the way that most people think of denominations, and it is not strictly a hierarchy in the way that most denominations are. Technically, the Southern Baptist Convention only exists for two days a year. Uh, it meets in some city in America, and these messengers come to represent their churches Churches can send anywhere from one or two up to the maximum, I think, is 10 or 15. And so no matter how big your church gets, you can only send a maximum. No matter how small your church gets or how small your church is, if you give this minimum, which is really a pittance, maybe like $1,000 a year or something like that to the Southern Baptist Convention, then you can send the minimum of messengers, which is like one or two. And so once you get all these massive number of small churches with their one or two or three or four messengers, then you get these very few number of big churches with their 10 or 12 messengers, 
you basically have a good representation of Southern Baptist life. And so the Southern Baptist Convention meets for these two days, and it is a big business meeting with some preaching and singing. That's really what it is. Don't let anybody tell you different. That's what it is. It's time of reports. These different entities like mission agencies and seminaries, uh, those are like super deluxe Bible colleges if you're not aware. It's like graduate school for Bible. So if you go to get a master's degree somewhere in, in engineering, uh, you go to a graduate school. Seminaries are graduate schools of the Bible. Think of them that way. Um, and so they give reports. And then in between all of these reports, there's this other kind of business. So people, these messengers then can ask the convention to consider doing things. And there's certain ways these have to be worded. They're very succinct uh, or very specific. And if you say, if you use one wrong word, literally your, your motion or what you're requesting the convention to consider doing can be tossed and you have to wait a whole nother year uh, in order to try it again. So, uh, and then there's these things called resolutions where the convention basically just says, this is, this is what we think about this subject this year. Uh, boom. And that's it. And the very next year they could, the next convention could vote the exact opposite thing on some other issue. So one, one year the SPC could vote that we like, uh, newspapers on white paper and the next year we could vote that we prefer newspapers on cream color paper. And it's not technically a contradiction because it's two separate convention meetings making different statements on the same subject. So that resolutions kind of work that way. Now, what happened in um, Nashville this year, or yeah, this year, 2021, is the convention, there was a motion made that a uh, task force would be formed, <clears throat> appointed by the new president of the convention, and that that task force would uh would uh, hire, uh, retain um, an agency or an organization that specialized in investigating sexual abuse claims to find out if the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention had been involved in any misdeeds, cover-ups, anything like that. So nobody really knows uh, exactly the depth of anything that may or may not have happened because we don't have all the facts. And so that's why there was an investigation requested. So the executive committee then is made up of representatives called trustees or committee members from the different states that take part in the Southern Baptist convention. So however many states there are, I think there's like two messengers per state and one messenger. If you're kind of a um, up and coming organization. So if you're, in a in Hawaii, and I'm just totally making this part up. Uh, but if you're in Hawaii, and Hawaii isn't quite completely formed, they might be able to send one person to the executive committee. Whereas Georgia and Mississippi and these states that have been part of things for a while can send like two. And so the executive committee winds up with you know 60 or 70 members on it. And what the executive committee does is it oversees the business of the Southern Baptist Convention between these once a year meetings. So these meetings take place in June every year. They last for a couple of days. And then what happens from, until the next June? The executive committee is responsible to run, quote-unquote, the Southern Baptist Convention. So the executive committee has employees that it has hired and put into position, and they work in an office, and they maintain communications, and they publish some stuff, and they maintain Baptist Press and these other things. And then these trustees of the executive committee get together three or four times a year and they have subcommittees and they study all these things and they make recommendations and they vote. And then the executive committee staff, the employees, carry out these wishes as well. 
and then um, that's how the convention works. So um, you have the two-day business meeting that sets the agenda. Then you have the 363 days a year. That's the executive committee and the staff and the trustees that are tasked with carrying out uh, the things that the SBC votes for them to do. And this is ongoing and there's stuff that carries over and stuff like that. And they interact with the other entities that are part of the Southern Baptist Convention as well. So uh, there's an investigation going on as to whether in past years, uh, recent history, though we're not talking about 30 years ago, we're talking about recent history, whether there were um, claims of sexual abuse, allegations of sexual abuse, um, alleged sexual abuse, whatever, uh, that were brought to the attention of the staff of the executive committee and some of the uh, higher-up committee members maybe of the trustees in the executive committee, and whether or not they handled these well, whether or not they tried to cover anything up, sweep anything under the rug, all that kind of thing. So that's what's taking place right now. That's really a super thumbnail and I'm, I, I'm intentionally kind of vague because I don't know all the lingo and I'm not like, I'm not Mr. Robert's rules of order. I'm Marty's rules of disorder. So that's about the best I can do. But generically speaking, that's about right. So if you were able to keep up with that, then you'll be able to keep up with this. So in a meeting last week of the executive committee where they were supposed to uh, accept the assignment that was given to them by the messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention, which was that they were to waive attorney-client privilege regarding anything that this investigative group called God Star, God Stone, I don't know, God God Stone, God Star, something. It's not God Stone Financial Resources of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's another organization that has God in the first part of the name. But they're professional investigators who specialize in this kind of investigating. And so the convention uh, asked for a task force to be formed. That task force was formed according to the convention's wishes. The task force then retained the services of this organization, this investigative organization. Then the convention also specifically asked that the executive committee would waive attorney-client privilege. So this is what you need to know about that. The executive committee has attorneys who are employees of the executive committee. So they are on retainer because they're employees of the, they're, they're like in-house counsel for the executive committee. And, um, and so by default and by law, conversations that take place between the former president of the executive or the former chairman of the executive committee, I can't remember which is the right word, um, Frank Page and the current chairman slash president, whichever is the right term, of the executive committee, Ronnie Floyd, and former and current attorneys who work for the executive committee, then the convention asked that any and all of those communications uh, be waived. So the privilege then that normally would fall under attorney-client privilege would then be waived so that the investigative group, God whoever, uh, would be able to have access to all the information so that so that all of their investigation would be unimpeded. Uh, the problem came in that the executive committee did not vote to waive privilege. Uh, they voted, and I'm estimating here, but I, I would say 60-40, maybe even 70-30 against, and I'm percentage-wise, um, against doing that. And so now there's this big brouhaha about what's going on and why did they do that. 
well, there was some number of people, either trustees on the executive committee or members of the executive committee, who uh, raised concerns. Um, turns out they were ill-founded. At least there's good reason to believe that they were ill-founded. <clears throat> concerns that there would be uh, potential uh, uninsurability issues if the executive committee waived privilege. Well, this had already been addressed by the investigative group. Uh, there's numerous examples of organizations who were being investigated for uh, sexual abuse issues and potential cover-ups who have waived privilege and who still are able to get insurance. So uh, that really has turned into a huge non-objection objection. Um, and so, of course, the uh, the question continues to be raised, and rightly so, is who is hiding what on the executive committee that we wouldn't want to, that they would not want to waive attorney-client privilege. Uh, now, a buddy of mine on Twitter who is an attorney said, uh, said, man, I would never uh, advise my client to waive attorney-client privilege, which I totally get. If I was a practicing attorney, I would absolutely 100%. There's almost no doubt that I would never advise a client to waive attorney-client privilege because that is sac sacrosanct when you are uh, when you're a defendant. Um, just by being an American citizen, that is one of the, I mean, right up there with the fifth amendment is your ability to keep your, uh, your communications with your attorney privileged. However, the Southern Baptist convention does not want the executive committee to hold attorney client privilege in the issues that involve this investigation. And the executive committee works for the Southern Baptist convention the executive committee does not run the Southern Baptist convention. We're not a higher, the Southern Baptist convention is not a hierarchy. We're not a denomination. The churches tell the executive committee what to do. The executive, the executive committee, nor any other entity should try to tell the churches what to do. And so this last week when, um, the executive committee refused at least in that meeting, they, they say now they're going to take seven days and they're meeting tomorrow, which is September 28th, to try to resolve this. Um, at least in that meeting, they went against the expressed wishes of the SBC and potentially now, according to Attorney Liz Evan, uh, who is on the task force, um, the sexual abuse task force that was appointed by the SBC president, uh, there is now at least the possibility that legally the Southern Baptist Convention suddenly now is a hierarchical denomination like the Methodists and the Catholics and the Presbyterians, rather than what we have been for uh, since whenever, 1845 or whenever it was, 1865, whatever the date was, um, 1845, I guess, after that, um, that we have not been that kind of hierarchy, that the authority lies with the churches, not with the people who lead the entities. Well, because the executive committee refused to follow the express wishes of the convention, now there's a question legally about whether they have actually exposed the entire convention to this idea of hierarchy, and now they are, they're basically telling the courts by their actions that we really are a denomination with a hierarchical structure. So that now has to be uh, taken into consideration. So uh, in my view, and I'm just one dude, 
uh, who's sitting in front of a microphone watching a uh, timer go across on audacity and uh, voice levels. I'm just one guy. Uh, but in my one view, uh, it was a tremendous mistake for the executive committee not to vote at that moment to waive privilege. So what they did was they kind of split hairs and they said, we're, we're, we're going to vote to fund the investigation. So whatever that investigation is going to be million and a half dollars or something like that. We're going to vote to fund the investigation. We're going to wait and study some more or, you know, look through all the options or whatever about waiving privilege. Now, they could still meet tomorrow or tomorrow and Wednesday, whenever it is they're meeting. They could still vote tomorrow. Uh, they could still say, okay, we've, we've done our, our research. We're, we're really confident now that, um, that we can waive privilege in this case and, you know, and Liberty Mutual or whoever isn't going to cancel us. Um, not that that was really the issue, but now they potentially can come back. If they don't waive privilege even after this week, I think it really does create a dynamic that's going to be problematic for the Southern Baptist Convention. It's going to be a problem for the executive committee. Um, it is not going to be uh, the solution that the convention asked for, and it is very potentially going to be a hand grenade that's going to blow up in somebody's hand and in everybody else's face. So here's the problem with what the uh, executive committee has done in this uh, morass of voting in this confusion of process uh, that they have put the convention through. Uh, is a they're they're by their actions are telling the survivors of sexual abuse that um, that us having insurance is more important than them having uh, truth uh, for them having justice um, and so I mean it really does boil down to that um, we're more concerned with whether we have an insurance policy that we can protect our assets than whether or not the women and men who um, have come forward saying that they were abused in some way and or uh, they reported it and nothing was done and they're seeking um, justice in this. Some may be seeking compensation. Uh, I know of at least one lawsuit, but others just want acknowledgement. They just they want something to be done that prevents this from happening in the future. And when the executive committee votes to delay so that they can review the processes and review the potential for uh, financial fallout and whether or not the um, the future of the convention's finances is healthy, then, I mean, there's no way around saying that there are some members of the executive committee, a majority at this point, who are more concerned about the um, insurance and insurability of the convention than they are about justice for these victims. And one problem that the SBC has long had is um, we are really good at making pronouncements, uh, really, really good at saying things publicly. We're really, really terrible at knowing how those things are going to land once they're out there. It's like balloons filled with poop uh, that land in the middle of the party and the gender reveal goes sideways because everything is smelly now. Uh, we, we offer resolutions on subjects that we really don't know anything about. And sometimes we don't offer resolutions on subjects that we should be speaking loudly to. And then at other times we offer resolutions and then the things that we say online or in letters to the editor are diametrically opposed to the things the convention has spoken to. Um, one really clear example of that is the uh, way that the convention has spoken about immigration in the past. Uh, we've spoken about the need to minister to immigrants, the need to uh, 
be like the scripture says, to be welcoming to immigrants, to help them to assimilate, and all these different kinds of things. Um, you can just Google literally Southern Baptist uh, Convention resolution on immigration, and there was one not too many years ago. But then when you uh, listen to a lot of Southern Baptists who uh, talk in the public, it's like the exact opposite of the spirit of what that resolution was about. <clears throat> so we do have a problem with not understanding how the wider culture views us, and we think we're speaking truth to culture, and many times the culture isn't paying attention, and then when they do pay attention, it's because we've said something that landed badly, uh, and it's like we, we, expect without, uh, we expect without reason to, uh, for people to, to think the best, and often we aren't putting forth the best, and so uh, understandably, they do not think the best. <clears throat> so in this instance, with the executive committee, once again, there's been a public decision, there's been a public um, demonstration that looks like sexual abuse survivors are not the priority here. Um, the the convention staying in existence is the priority here. Uh, and so when that is the priority and other things go by the wayside, then how can we be surprised at all when the wider world that is watching uh, looks at us and judges, uh, rightly so, that our, pri- our, our priorities are uh, messed up, that they're upside down, and they're not the priorities that we would that Jesus would want us to have. So in our thinking about what happened at the executive committee last week, it wasn't just about procedures. It wasn't just about votes. It wasn't just about making decisions to do that then or to delay. It's how we treat these issues, how the Southern Baptist Convention treats these issues so that when a public, when the public is watching that our good is not evil spoken of because we're doing good and people recognize that and not doing bad things and being condemned rightly for them. Uh, so that's really uh, how I wanted to finish that segment there is to bring that back around to we don't do these things in a vacuum. Sometimes we act like we are, but we don't. And people are right to look at our actions and draw conclusions on their own without us having to back up and sideways explain uh, bad decisions and bad looks uh, that we've allowed people to take and they've come to those conclusions because of the actions that we've taken. So that's just a couple of, uh, that's three or four cents worth of uh, commentary, uncommentary on uh, the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee. So a couple of other things that I wanted to uh, run out here is um, I am probably going to, uh, instead of doing three to four episodes a month, uh, for the near future, at least, I'm probably, uh, not probably, it's definitely, uh, I'm going to have to cut to uh, one to two episodes a month for a while. Uh, there's a reason behind this madness. Uh, those of you who've been listening for a long time will remember that last year I had to take a hiatus because of some family concerns, and uh, that lasted for a little bit of time. I missed a couple of months of being able to do episodes. Um, well, there's some other stuff has come up. And um, since this isn't my full-time gig, and I do have uh, attent- attentiveness to pay elsewhere uh, at times, I'm not going to go on a hiatus this time, but for a period of time, 
I'm going to reduce the number of episodes that, that I'm doing. What I'm also going to do at the same time is I'm going to work toward <coughs> beginning to uh, video record the episodes so that there'll be an audio track that will upload as a podcast as normal. And then there'll be a video track that will uh, upload to a YouTube channel. And um, if it works like I'm hoping that it will, then um, there will be some of those video episodes that there will be able to be a quote-unquote studio audience. So there, you, you would be able potentially um, to log in, and this will be uh, offered to my Patreons first. So if you're participating in Patreon supporting in commentary, you would get first dibs on this particular setup. So I'm still researching into that. I know it's a thing. And um, it would be a fun thing uh, because the studio audience, it, this isn't like Jerry Springer where you get to throw stuff and yell stuff out. Um, you'd basically be listening, but you'd be listening live to the actual live recording. And uh, you'd be able to, to see as the studio, myself and whoever the guest is, and um, be a part of that um, whenever the recording takes place. So that's one of the things that I'm working toward. Second thing I'm working toward is a rebranding. Um, so, uh, all new logo, all new everything, um, regarding that, hopefully a little bit of an expanded shop with mugs and stickers and t-shirts and stuff, um, that will, um, draw in some folks, some merch. That's the word I'm looking for. Get some merch going on, uh, foreign commentary a little bit more than the mugs and stickers that I've had. So, uh, if you're the praying type, be uh, interested and thankful if you'd pray about that. Third thing is I have reached out to uh, a dear friend and asked her if she would uh, begin helping me with scheduling because that is like the downfall um, of what's uh, <laughs> of, of why I run into these periods sometimes. Um, life is busy and y'all know it and I know it and everybody knows it so it's not a surprise to anybody. And one of the things that I struggle with is simply the... Um, the scheduling side of things. So I've reached out to a friend and she is agreed to do that. And so part of your support will go to support her in uh, helping me get things scheduled and keeping it scheduled. And one, one of the reasons that I'm going to drop back on the number of episodes, uh, at least cut back on the number that's being produced um, is because uh, I want to take a little more, I want to have more prep time between episodes. Um, I feel like that I've, there's been so many times that I've been rushed, uh, to get an episode ready. Um, you know, I walk upstairs to do the recording with the person's book in my hand, just trying to get an idea of what's going on. And I mean, people have been super gracious that I've shared that with and they're like, man, we couldn't even tell, you know, it just, the, uh, the conversations are great and nobody would have been able to tell that, um, that you hadn't been familiar with the book. Well, I could tell. And if you're attentive, you probably could tell. And, or if you're like, you're really honed in on that kind of stuff. I don't mean to say attentive, but if you're really honed in on that kind of stuff, then you might be able to tell as well. So I, I really want to be able to be prepared. I want to be able for these conversations to be as good as they can be, uh, not just, um, here and there. <clears throat> so the goal is, um, to drop, uh, it's either going to be every first and third Tuesday or every second or every second and fourth Tuesday. Um, and when that is set, I will make sure that everyone knows so that you'll still be, it'll still be on a schedule. It's not just going to be random with an episode dropping, you know, whenever I can get one and then nobody knows when the next one's coming. Uh, but for the foreseeable future, that will be the goal. There might be a, a special dropped in every now and then, 
But as far as ongoing, uh, we're going to shoot for two a month for the foreseeable future until we can get maybe things worked out uh, for more consistency or whatever it might look like going forward after that. So um, if you're the praying type, I would appreciate your prayers. Um, I'm appreciative for all that God has done. Uh, in this, um, I'm still praying for uh, several guests that I would love to have on Uncommentary. I would love to have Monica Lewinsky on Uncommentary. I would love to have George Bush and Barack Obama on Uncommentary. I'd love to have my my friend over in the Middle East, Hen Amory, at Libya Liberty on Twitter, on Uncommentary. Um, so far, she just is. She has just not said yes. Hen, you're killing me. Um, but I am calling you out right now, and, and I would love to have you on the podcast. Uh, so there's a lot of folks out there that I would still love to have on the podcast that I haven't been able to have yet. But I'm so grateful for everyone who has ever said yes. Uh, it's just super encouraging to look back through the guest list and realize uh, what this little upstairs uh, sound baffle on uh, artboard against the windows uh, has been able to do in just the last couple of years. And so I'm very thankful for that. Very thankful for you. And until the next time, which hopefully will be in a couple of weeks, uh, this is Marty Duran for Uncommentary. Thanks for listening. <laughs>